It's a light front page, and this morning our panelists are Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist from The Star, as well as Azrael Anwar, senior reporter from the Malay Mail. The headlines <laughs> that we're talking about today, I think people are still talking about the Penang Bridge, and as we know, the victim's body uh, was still intact after three days. As we know, they held his funeral yesterday, and but the, the question is that we want to talk about is the integrity of the bridge. You know, I mean, there were five cars that plunged within the last 10 years, so structurally, what more could be done to avoid cases like this again? Have you gentlemen spoken to anyone about this? In terms of the structure of the bridge, I consult few construction companies mm-hmm. and uh, the feedback from some of the engineers is that there's nothing wrong with the bridge. Yeah, uh, the structural integrity is solid. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with the bridge. It all depends on the person behind the wheel. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But there are proposals to... Of course, a lot of it is uh, uh, knee-jerk. Reactions, right. you know, you can't blame the bridge or the structure of the bridge. But what you want to do to make it safer, perhaps, plus who runs, uh, manages the, operates the bridge, mm-hmm. has come up with a suggestion to install speed cameras. Right. There are suggestions to reduce the current speed limit from 80 kilometers to lower than that, of course. Right. And there's also suggestion to maybe increase the uh, height of the barriers of the girls. Uh, This was one of the proposals from the chief minister himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there are many things that you can do to reduce the incidences of accidents on the bridge. Another thing they can do is maybe put uh, speed breakers, speed humps instead of, uh, as opposed to speed bumps. Right, right. These are the ones that gradually reduce the speed of vehicles on the bridge. Mm -hmm. But then again, it beats the purpose of the bridge's efficiency Right. of uh, moving X number of vehicles. Especially in peak hour. Especially at peak hour yeah. across the uh, across the causeway, mm. but yeah, I mean, there's uh, no harm in uh, looking into how you can make it safer. I mean, uh, road safety is an evolutionary process. True, and as you know, on the second Penang Bridge, there was the attempted suicide. What more could the government do, or what what do you feel uh, be done more to address this issue? Uh, regarding suicide, is a very for me, it's a very complex matter. Mm. Uh, it is impossible for the government to just help suicide people directly because any might not even turn to the government or even to uh, some of the friends, for instance, for help. Yep. What the government can should do is something more indirect. It needs to create education and awareness, not among the su- those who are suicidal, but actually the, for the population in general. Right, because we all need to help each other, look out for each other, right? Yes, and the public, in that sense, needs to be able to identify signs of extreme depression, identify those who are suicidal, and the, the possible causes leading suicide because most of the time the ones you will notice will be family and friends or those people who are around surrounding the those who are depressed enough to commit suicide yeah and these are the ones in position to actually urge those who are depressed to seek help yeah i agree okay an ngo says don't privatize the online system for foreign workers we'll be discussing why and more on this topic next our first bruno mars on light we're on the light front page this morning with Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist from The Star, as well as Azrael Anwar, senior reporter from the Malay Mail. Right now, we're talking about the online system for foreign workers. This NGO encourages strongly not to privatize it. This human rights group has welcomed the government's proposal for the online system to handle monetary transactions, applications for foreign workers, but once again, privatizing or outsourcing the project to a third-party firm. Now, can you tell us, maybe we'll start with you, Azrael, why privatizing the online system would be any good? I don't think uh, privatizing the system would be a good idea Mm -hmm. because 
once you privatize it, it will become uh, part of the approving authority or it could even become the approving authority mm-hmm. for foreign workers coming into Malaysia. Yeah, and that should be a federal thing, right? It yes, a, bingo. Yeah. And not only that, it actually goes against the intention of the whole uh, single system idea in the first place. When Prime Minister Tun Dr. Mahdi Mohamad first proposed the idea uh, last year, mm-hmm. he said it was to establish a single system to hire foreign workers and at the same time breaking the monopoly held by around 10 agents who control all the entry points of these workers. Right. So if you privatize it to another fellow, you're allowing a single entity to a single monopoly. monopoly. A Fantastic. Single monopoly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's better leave it in the hands of the federal. Okay. Since we have had a change in government, have we had any changes in the way we recruit foreign workers? I'm not uh, uh, clued into that. On a policy level, I think they are fine-tuning it. I okay. mean, sorry, they, are, they have already come up with policies on it. Okay. But it's just on the implementation process which they are fine-tuning, which is part, I think the online platform is part of it. As far as I know, the government has already formed an independent ministerial joint committee between the Home Ministry and the Human Resource Ministry. Mm-hmm. And it is parked under the Institute of Labor, Market Information and Analysis. Right, and what are they doing? Basically, it has an overview and it's chaired by Home Minister Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin uh-huh. on the policies and management of foreign workers and labor in general. Okay. So these are the ones who are overlooking and to see how much foreign workers we should bring yeah, in. Yeah, I think it's important for the government to keep track of the number of foreign workers and also to make sure that there's minimum standards applied, you know, in terms of medical checkups. Yes. Right. And yeah. also increasing a multi-tier levy, if not mistaken, starting this year. Oh yes, by twenty percent. Wow, what implication would that have? No, you know whatever system that we put in place, it cannot be a profit-oriented system, mm. as in what the foreign worker application system, the monopolistic system involving only ten agencies, some of some of which were shell companies actually, and uh, with top links to the administration. Yeah. Okay. And but this a system like this definitely works uh, if it's utilized properly. It's meant to reduce human interaction. It's meant to reduce corruption. Right. It's meant to you know improve efficiency. Digitize. <laughs> yeah, digitize. Yeah. Okay. So if it's done at with those intentions in mind, then the system will work. But the system just to make money and to traffic people Malaysia mm. is one of the highest uh, human trafficking countries in the world, in yeah. the world at the moment it's yeah. alarming yeah. It's, it's, it's alarming and Bangladeshis of which this uh, this SPPA system was first implemented for involving the same company are among the most trafficked people in the world and it was almost akin to modern slavery as well you know exactly. for how, how some of them were treated it is yeah. it is and I think uh, where the current government has, what they have done is I think if, uh, not too long ago the current uh, Minister of Human Resource uh, YB Kulasegra Mm-hmm. has signed a G2G agreement right. with his uh, counterpart from Bangladesh uh, to allow um, direct hiring of uh, Bangladesh, Bangladeshi workers. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Perhaps that's a better, a better approach. It's definitely a better approach. You, you, you keep it G2G yeah. and uh, make sure that the system is operated uh, fairly, mm. uh, preferably by government servants themselves. Yeah, I think it's better for human rights overall. Next, we'll be talking about how East Malaysians say that the Orang Asli face similar indigenous issues as those in Cameron Highlands. That's next after Desiree on Light. You're on the light front page this morning with me, Anita, and our panelists, Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist from The Star, as well as Azrul Anwa, senior reporter from the Malay Mail. The story we're looking at right now is that East Malaysians say that the Orang Asli face similar indigenous issues. This is in context of the Cameron Highlands by-elections, mm-hmm. and you have the East Malaysians actually going over to volunteer. That is one mm-hmm. little remarked fact, actually, mm-hmm. that the PH campaign includes East Malaysian volunteers who've been flying in to help reach out 
to the Orang Asli villages in Cameron Highlands. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, I don't, Terence, do you think the ethnic groups in East Malaysia face the same issues as the Orang Asli in Peninsula? I think bringing the East Malaysians to Cameron Highlands to campaign is a brilliant political move mm. because they understand. They can empathize with what the Orang Aslis are going through. Yeah. I mean, look what's happening in Sarawak especially and to a certain measure in Sabah. Uh, we're talking about their customary land rights being denied. Yes. You know, uh, they're being kicked out of their ancestral lands yeah. uh, for plantations, for instance, for road projects. And by taking away their land, you're, talk- you're taking away their, li- their source of income, their livelihood. Mm. And another thing that they are also going through or being denied is your know, lack of, okay, you take away the ancestral land, their customary land. What what are you offering them in return? Mm. Job opportunities, education, uh, vocational training, all that is lacking. And also, if you look at Sarawak especially, apart from the plantations that have encroached into ancestral land, you're looking at about 50 dams that are being built or planned to be built by the year 2050. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at one example of it, which is Bakun Dam, the biggest. Yes. Uh, when it was completed, it was completed 20 years ago, 1998. And you have about 10,000 uh, displaced in indigenous uh, people, yeah. uh, mostly from the uh, Penan communi- uh, community. Until today, they are staying, that they are staying in uh, dilapidated longhouses, transit homes actually. I wouldn't call it longhouse. They haven't received their land titles. Mm. They don't enjoy clean uh, water something Ironic, b- basic isn't it? Is that exactly it's a water and, dam yeah one of the complaints that they have come up with is they, they have murky water coming out of their taps and similarly lack of inf- infrastructure lack of educational opportunities lack of vocational training the rape of ancestral land uh, are the similar issues being faced by the orang asli in semenanjung now speaking of uh, education as you were saying we understand that there actually is a problem when it comes to political awareness even i mean you know, if you're talking about the basics being they're being deprived of the basics there's a lack of political awareness among a small majority of Orang Asli and this is what they found so far in just mm-hmm. Cameron Highlands mm-hmm. in your opinion what can be done for them to be heard? Do I think for personally it's not about them having better political awareness it's about the government and the majority of Malaysians needing to listen to them and respect their wishes respect their way of life respect their needs mm. they're a minority community and we should be protecting them and their way of life if that is what they want. Mm. Uh, the Pakatan Harapan DAP candidate for Cameron Highlands, he summed it up perfectly in my book during the recent debate organized by Bursi. He said that we need to give the Orang Asli and Orang Asal community the dignity to live the lives according to the way that they want to instead of telling them, teaching them, this is what you should be doing. Right. Rather than trying to force them into the mainstream, streamline them and taking away their, their culture and their heritage, we should be respecting it. It's all food for thought. Next we're going to be talking about schools having the possibility of increasing their recess time to 30 minutes instead of the existing 20 minutes. Mm. Why is this a topic? We'll talk about that next after Dean Lewis and Irene Cara on Light. It's the Light front page and our panelists with us this morning are Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist from The Star, and Azrael Anwar, senior reporter from the Malay Mail. Today we're looking at a statement by Deputy Education Minister Tio Ni Ching officially saying that schools have the autonomy to increase recess time from 20 minutes to 30 minutes. This was when she visited a mm. Chinese national school in Subang. Subang. Following complaints from parents that the 20 minute recess time was not adequate for pupils as, you know, some kids had to stand while eating some have to wolf down their food and this is a daily occurrence so can you shed some light on this uh, Terence I mean why is this uh, such an issue and you know we've had recess time for 20 minutes for the longest time What? Yes. why the fuss you've had 20 minutes recess I have 20 minutes recess I know Ajay is much younger than me but even he has had 20 minute recesses no, no, no. I, I had 30 minute recess yeah okay oh. <laughs> 
Yes. But I'll tell you what this is all about. I mean, Tony Ching visited, visited the school and a parent would run up to her and say, YB, YB, mm. you know, my daughter... <laughs> Cannot no, eat. No time to eat her <laughs> avocado chicken wrap. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, 20 minutes is not enough time. Uh. I mean, we are now ruled by a generation of snowflakes who are, you know, bent on creating a, a generation of super snowflakes. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's look at it this way. 20 minutes. Okay, fine. The ministry guidelines allows schools the autonomy to give up to 30 minutes anyway. Right. Recess time. But How does this affect, you know, the overall schedule? Because, you know, everything's kind of like the format of schooling, the time that you know, the bell rings, everything's kind of been set in stone for a long time. You look at your student population. You look at the school's facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a long queue at the tuck shop to buy your snacks, or you don't have enough toilets, for instance, to cater to uh, X number of, of students. students, well, maybe something something to look into. But seriously, I don't know. I mean, Azil might have have a different opinion on this mm. I think 20 minutes to cope lah. I would like to see them increase the time for PE mm. get the kids yeah, out of the yeah. classroom onto the field sweat a bit kick a ball fall yeah. down scrape your knee I honestly think that 10 extra minutes is not going to disrupt the schedule at all mm. because I mean look at single session schools they can probably pull it off because I came from a single session school back when I was in Ipoh yeah. and they had a 30 minute recess However, and they still manage and they still manage however mm. two session schools it might be a bit different it might be a bit difficult Yeah. but then again when I was a kid studying in the US They had a one-hour break. Mm. Not in they split between lunch hour and recess, thirty mm-hmm. minutes recess, which was from ten thirty to eleven, and then lunch hour from twelve to twelve thirty. Yeah. So the kids have enough time to want to play. Every I had day. that in my school as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, it's not just about play. I think you know, in light of things, what's ten minutes overall? You know, if you're thinking you can actually chew your food and swallow your food, yes. You know, and maybe <laughs> have some time to kick a ball. Kick a ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm or or get into a fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part of school anyway Oh wow, I really have boys in the studio today Next, we're going to be discussing the China-based ECRL uh, contractor And the situation in the first place uh, Tun M said yesterday he wasn't unsure what the situation is Today, it's going to be brought up in Parliament We'll be talking about that next After Firehouse and Rick Astley You're on the light front page with me, Anita, joined by our panelists this morning, Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist from The Star, as well as Azrael Anwar, senior reporter from the Malay Mail. This was making the news in yesterday's headlines, and today, from my understanding, things will be brought up to Cabinet. Tun Dr. M says, I don't know if China-based ECRL contractor has been axed. Uh, as far as we know, this has been brought up because a source from Singaporean media, it claimed that Putrajaya was already looking for a new contractor to build the 688-kilometer rail project connecting Klang Valley to the peninsula east coast and uh, Tun saying listen I just got back <laughs> I don't know right and last we heard Tun Daim said on Tuesday that Malaysia was still in negotiations with China so what what are we looking at here gentlemen Terence what's the progress of this cancellation officially there's a thing Tun M says he doesn't know Daim is, uh, is negotiating uh, I think uh, the finance minister also said that the project is off, off. It's, yeah. It, yeah it's off but you know that's the thing with this Pakatan Harapan government lah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they portray that the left hand don't know what the right hand is doing. And of course, Tun knows what's going on, you know. He's always he's, in the know. He's always a few <laughs> steps ahead of everybody. Uh, I think the negotiations have uh, are still ongoing mm-hmm. because it's not easy to pull out of a contract just like that, especially with China. And it'll know. be costly because things have already we, started rolling. We don't know what the previous government had tied us down to. Mm. There was a report in the Australian papers a few days ago, uh, last week, I think, that mm-hmm. $7 billion US dollars from that project, well, the project was inflated by $7, $7 billion US dollars to plug uh, 1MDB. Right. So, uh, it's not as e- so easy as just terminating a contract. You know, what do we have to give, give up in return? 
I mean, is there a penalty to be paid? Mm. And can we afford the penalty? Dune uh, is actually already anticipating, you know, a penalty by the billions. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 billion and, to be exact. Right. Exactly. And Toon had mentioned in July last year that the uh, contract, he deems it as strange. Mm. The contractor must be from China. The lending is from China's Exim Bank. Mm. And the money is not coming to Malaysia. It's going to be kept in, in, China. in, in China. And uh, the contractors are Chinese. The workers are Chinese. Right. Uh, so where exactly is the ROI to Malaysia? To, to Malaysia the port of Kuantan is now 40% owned by a Chinese conglomerate on that note would cancelling the contract then be any good to the government or do you see another alternative solution I think we're kind of trapped Azrael? we're kind of stuck uh, with the contract and mm. the best thing we can do is scale it down just like Tun plan mm. and like Tyron said Tun knows everything so I wouldn't be surprised if this particular source is just a way to trigger China to tell them hey come on if you it's either you take this one the deal that we're trying to negotiate you with mm. or it's terminated it could be a, implying a certain level of subtle threat against them mm. that's how I see things because while China is negotiating with us on the ECRL mm-hmm. they're also negotiating with Thailand to uh, build the Kral uh, Canal right that would make the ECRL and especially the ports which they are investing in kind of redundant. And don't forget, if the Kral Canal goes through, uh, Peninsula Malaysia will, even, will effectively be an island. Oh, <laughs> this is true. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, not true, but I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. So there are a lot of funny things uh, attached to the to this agreement. It almost seems like bets are being hedged. Exactly. Mm. I mean, are we going to withdraw our claims on the Spratly Islands? Hmm. With, with with this deal I mean China and Malaysia didn't come to the negotiating table uh, on level playing field Yeah. so whatever how are we going to get out of this we will still end up with the short end of the stick that's my take on this well, that's belief. what we've inherited thank you very much gentlemen for joining us this morning on front page it's been very interesting